The Your Money, Your Wealth Guide to the Five-Year Rules for Roth IRA Withdrawals is now available for download from the podcast show notes. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to access it for free. Today on YMYW, pitches for fixed indexed annuities will be on the upswing given these volatile market conditions. So Joe breaks down how to analyze those pitches for yourself. Plus, Secure Act stretch IRA rules, evaluating long-term care insurance options, and why thrift savings plan to Roth conversions are so complicated. But first, some clarification on CARES Act stimulus payments for kids, retirement account distributions, and rethinking your retirement savings strategy. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and joining us a bit later, Big Al Clopine, CPA. Jeff writes in, he goes, hey, please clarify the payments for children. I heard they must be younger than 17. Is that true? If so, why? Shouldn't children 23 or younger and claimed as dependents qualify too? Thanks. I I mean, he makes a logical question, but it's not 17 and under. It's under the age of 17. So if Jeff's married, it's $2,400 plus any child under the age of 17 gets additional $500. Looks like Jeff has a kid at 23 that he's claiming as a dependent. So he would not get the $500 for the child that is claiming the dependent or if the child was earning income and uh, would not receive any benefit there as well uh, because he is a dependent. So the answer to Jeff is don't claim your kid as a dependent because then the kid would probably get a stimulus check and then just have the kid pay Jeff. Well, and then there's the question of why. (laughs) Like, I know. I have no idea. I have no idea why it's seven, you know, under the age of 17. And I, I hear we're getting a lot of these stimulus checks in. So um, I got mine. You did? Yep. All right. There we go. Today? Uh, yesterday. All right. Um, here's another one. We got George. He writes in. Um, hey, Joe and Big Al, really enjoy your show. I find your quirky humor is quite entertaining and the knowledge you provide is of great value. My wife thinks I'm an old man, only 35 years old, for listening to you guys. But he's okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're okay with that, George. Um, well, you got an old man name. That's probably why his wife thinks he's an old man. The, <laughs> the information you pri- uh, provide will hopefully help us retire early before age 65. I have a question about the CARES Act concerning the distribution from a retirement account. I have a 401k at work that has both pre-tax contributions and Roth contributions. Would I be able to take a distribution of the Roth portion and roll it into my Roth IRA? The 401k does not allow in-service distributions, and I was hoping this new law would allow me to get those Roth funds out of the 401k into my Roth IRA. Thanks so much, guys, for all you do. really appreciate the wisdom you provide. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm not sure why he wants to do that. It makes no difference. If it's in a 401k or Roth IRA at this point at age 35, when he retires and separates from service, or if he changes jobs, he would just take the Roth dollars from the 401k and move it into his Roth IRA at that point, and then roll the pre-tax into a traditional IRA. So there's no benefit to doing it now? No, I mean, he can't. What he's talking about with the CARES Act is there's the, you know, the coronavirus distribution, right? Right. 
So if you have, or if your spouse has been uh, diagnosed, or if you have the COVID-19, or if you get um, laid off, or if you, you know, lose hours, or if you're affected in any way by the virus, then there's a, a distribution that you can take. So you would take a distribution from a 401k plan, which he's looking to do, but he just wants to move it directly into the Roth. It doesn't seem like he wants to spend it. So what the distribution allows an individual to do is take the money out and pay it back over three years or pay the tax on it over three years. So it's not like you're taking it out and put it into another retirement account because he would have to put it back into the 401k plan or he would be taxed on those dollars. So if he took $100,000, let us say, of his Roth money from the 401k and put it into his Roth IRA, he would still either have to put the money back into the 401k or pay taxes on the distribution, which wouldn't make any sense at all. But if it was, hold on a second, but if it was a Roth component of it, he wouldn't have to pay tax on it or a 10% penalty, but he wouldn't be able to put it into the Roth IRA because then that would be an excess contribution um, because it's not a rollover or transfer. So George, I'm still a little confused on what you want to do here. The, The CARES Act distribution wouldn't apply because it's either you pay it back Um, over three years or pay the tax over three years. And you couldn't take the money out of the overall plan and put it into a Roth and pay the tax over it. You know, that wouldn't make any sense either. You wouldn't be able to take the money out and do a conversion and pay the tax over three years either. So not sure why he would want to do that. I don't know. What do you think, Andy? Is there anything I'm reading on this that I'm missing? No, I think you're reading it right. I, that's why my question was, what, what would be the benefit of doing it now as opposed to when he actually wants to take the money out? And it doesn't sound know. like there is one. No, um, I mean, unless he wants to invest in something different in the Roth IRA, he could have a self-directed oh. Roth IRA where he's you know investing in you know different investments that are, are not available within his 401k. That's plan. probably why. But I mean, in most 401k plans now, you have so many options, um, um, unless he wants to do like hard assets, real estate or something yeah. uh, to that effect. So hopefully that that answers your question, George. Sorry that I couldn't have been more help. So Ryan writes in from Arkansas. Hello, Joe. A- oh, hello, Andy, Joe, and Al. I get I first. Tr- yeah, that's right. I've truly have gotten more out of your podcast than any other. Right. Now that's saying a lot. That is. He lives in Arkansas, but from California. Wonder what brought someone from California to Arkansas. Got to be either family or a job. That would be my guess. I was in Arkansas. How'd you like it? It was fine. It was good. I camped um, was... in Arkansas once next to a river, and it was really loud all night. The Arkansas, the big Arkansas River. Yeah, I was on a houseboat on the Arkansas River. Oh, there you go. Yeah, good times. Played a little golf. It was over on the houseboat. No, no, no. (laughs) It's over Thanksgiving. So, Um, okay. Well, here's Ryan's situation. I will make one hundred ninety-eight thousand dollars in twenty twenty. In twenty nineteen, my AGI was two hundred twenty thousand, on a base of two hundred forty-five. As I understand it from your recent show, the CARES Act goes off of 2020 income. However, I will just have to wait until I do my taxes next year since my latest tax return puts me over the edge. 
So what um, I'll pause here because what Ryan's referring to is the stimulus checks, uh, 2,400 or 1,500. And it's based on adjusted gross income. Uh, the phase outs for a married individual starts at 150,000. Phase outs for indiv- uh, individual starts at 75,000. And it's 2,400 for married and 1,200 for single, you, not 1,500. What did I say? You said 1,500. Oh, 1,200. Sorry. Yeah, half. Yeah. Um, so I guess where did I, I don't know. So any thousand dollars that you um, have over that, you lose 50 bucks. Um, so I think that's probably where I got 1500 in my head. Um, so he, he's looking at, all right, well, I'm, my AGI is too high in my 2019 tax return. So, um, and then the, the CARES Act takes a look at your 2018, 2019, or 2020 tax return. It's really a tax credit based on 2020 tax returns, but they're giving us the cash sooner. Uh, because we need the cash now. Uh, so instead of waiting for a tax credit in 2020, they take a look at whatever tax return is on file, the most recent tax return. And so it looks like Ryan already filed his 2019 tax return and he, his income was too high. So he's like, okay, well, I'm going to wait until my 2020. Hopefully I get a little bit of a tax credit. So also, as I understand it, I'll be at the bottom and of the phase out, except for my three 500 child credits, I will qualify for. So the phase out starts at $150,000. So let's say if you have a $2,400 tax credit, so every $1,000 that you make over that $150,000, you lose a 50 bucks. So if you're making around $200,000 of adjusted gross, you basically phase out entirely of your um, your tax credit. Except he's got an additional $1,500 tax credit because he's got three children under the age of 17. So he writes, if I'm right in the above, then I have a question regarding my 401k and HSA contributions this year. This is the first year my company has offered a Roth 401k and I immediately switched from traditional to Roth. But now that there will be a stimulus based on AGI, would it be beneficial for me to switch back this year to capitalize on this, especially since it seems there will be more stimulus to come and 200k for a married tax filer seems to be the magic number or where there'll be much more money to be had in the long run keeping with the Roth 401k. He's strategizing. Um, yes. Here's how I would look at it, Ryan. Let's say you go pre-tax and I'm just going to use round numbers because I don't have a calculator um, in front of me. So instead of putting money pre-tax or post-tax, he's going to go pre-tax. So he's going to go $20,000 and at $200,000 of income, that's in the 24% tax bracket. So he's going to save about $5,000 in tax plus another $1.5 million or $1.5 um, thousand in credits, right? 1500. So 1500 So that's $6,500 roughly, right? Correct. Okay. So if he invests the $20,000 into the Roth, he's not going to get any of that benefit. He's still probably get the 1500, but let's just say he, it, it wipes him out. Or maybe he would get another 1500 of credit if he went pre-tax uh, because he would 
Um, you wouldn't phase them entirely out. It wouldn't be that much, but you get the gist. So let's say you got $20,000 in a Roth IRA and you invest that. The markets are low. The markets will continue, uh, continue to be volatile. They could drop even more. And then as you're continuing to save at lower prices, um, and if you feel that the market's going to be up, let's say over the next 10 years from now, um, let's say your 20,000 grows to 40. So if he stays in the 24% tax bracket, right, that's about a $9,600 savings because it's all tax-free to him. If he kept the $20,000 in the 401k plan and it grows to 40 and he pulls it out at 24% tax, that's going to cost you 9,600. So I'm going to look at what the cost is today versus what the cost is in the future, plus also the flexibility that I have. I have no idea how old Ryan is. I have no idea. If he's got three children under the age of 17, I'm guessing he's probably in his 40s. Um, or it could be uh, 40s or younger, right? Or maybe older. I don't know. Um, I don't know how much money he's got saved. I know he makes good income. But if he's in his 40s that is making a few hundred thousand dollars a year, I would imagine he's going to continue to make that and probably save more. Um, if he doesn't have any money into the Roth IRA, I like that better. I know Al would probably do the math a little bit differently. He would really get to the Nats ass and say, all right, well, here's what you're giving up in regards to credit. And you have to really compute this and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I mean, that's just straight numbers. We have no idea what's going to happen to tax rates in the future. If we have this much stimulus that is going on right now, where do you think tax rates potentially are going to go? I mean, I think they can only go one way and that's yeah. up. And especially with people that have assets and monies, you know, I think the bottom uh, tax rates will probably stay the same. I don't think they're going to mess with those. But the if you're making 200000 if you think you're going to stay in the 24% marginal tax rate, I think you're, you know, I, I think that's wishful thinking. Um, so in my opinion, if, you know, if, if you have the opportunity to save it, uh, you got to do the math. There's probably a little bit more analysis that I could do for you. Um, uh, but I'm not going to do it, um, on the fly, uh, but I'm just kind of giving you an idea of how you would want to look at this. So is the stimulus package helping the economy yet? Check out our latest market update webinar with Joe and Pure Financial Advisors Director of Research, Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, in the podcast show notes and download the CARES Act guide and other helpful resources while you're there. Since the stimulus rules continue to be refined and more stimulus is possibly on the way, be sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that Joe and Big Al can keep you updated. And as always, the fellows are here to answer your financial questions. Click Ask Joe and Al on air in the podcast show notes to send in your question as an email or as a voice message. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app to get to the show notes. This week, we got Dudley that uh, actually calls in. Yes. Uh, good morning. My name is Dudley. My situation starts with a purchase of an index annuity. I bought it from Aviva 10 years ago, and uh, it was $100,000. And I, I took the option of fixed income guaranteed, 8% compounded interest with a bonus of $8,000. So $108,000 over a 10-year period grows to about $233,000. And it generates an income stream for a single payout of about $15,000 per year. And that's what I intend to execute. Uh, for this guarantee of $15,000 a year for the duration of my life, I have not and will not pay any fees, cost from purchase, 
to my death or after. 100% of my money invested and its earnings will not be subject to any detractions. Please confirm or discuss on the basis of provided information. I want to thank David who did a very nice job of explaining to me this service. I think it's great. Look forward to your response. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. That's a mouthful there, <laughs> Dudley. Um, all right. So, okay, we're, we're probably going to get a lot more of these calls or questions in regards to certain types of products that offer guarantees. Um, there's two different components to what Dudley's talking about, and it's a little bit confusing in how it's positioned and sold and how it actually works um, are, are two different things. Um, because as Dudley explains it, is that, all right, I purchased this annuity product for $100,000. The annuity is going to guarantee me 8% compound interest. They're also going to throw in a bonus just because they're nice. So right off the bat, I got $108,000. And over a 10-year period, I'm guaranteed that that money is going to be $233,000. So that in itself is not factual um, in regards to Dudley, you cannot take the $233,000. I've, you know, I, let me do a caveat. I haven't seen the, the, the contract. I haven't read the contract. I'm just going off of what you're telling me. Um, so I can give myself an out here, but I have seen a lot of these products in the past and this the, the $233,000 is an income base. The 8% guarantee, they're not guaranteeing you 8%. And all of a sudden, 10 years later, you got $233,000 and you take the $233,000 and walk. Because ideally, who wouldn't do that? If you could get a guaranteed 8% from an insurance company, I mean, of course you would take that. You would take that all day long, but that's just not true. The $233,000 is an income base. So the 8% is a roll up. The 233,000 is a factor that the insurance company uses to determine what your income is. So this is a play to get a guaranteed income for the rest of your life. I have no idea how old Dudley is. So to really understand the, the internal rate of return on this product, you have to figure out how old Dudley is and what his life expectancy is. So what Dudley is telling me, though, he's getting $15,000 per year. So if I do the math, you get $100,000 up front. You, you deposit that into this annuity. They give you an 8% kicker, so you got $108,000. So that shows up on your statement. You're pretty happy about that. They're going to say they're going to guarantee you 8%. So 10 years later, you got $233,000. Like I said, you can't touch the two thirty three. That's an income base. It's a factor. It's all it is. It's a factor. So then the insurance company says, we're going to give you a $15,000 guaranteed income. And then that's based on the 233. If I do the math, 15,000 into 233, it's about 6%. So they're giving them a guaranteed 6% based on the 233, which is 15,000. So when you kind of look at this at first blush, you're like, who wouldn't do this? But if I explain it like this, to say the insurance companies make money, right? Just like banks, how do banks make money? You, you, you give them your money and you purchase a CD for one or 2%, right? And what do they do? They loan that out the back door for, you know, a, a home mortgage at four or a boat loan at eight or credit cards at 15 or 20, right? So that spread is how banks make money. Insurance companies do the exact same thing and they're very profitable 
And they're very good at this. So when you hear an 8% compound interest, a lot of individuals will say, yeah, I'm going to jump all over that, but you got to be careful. They're, he's getting 15 grand. That's his guarantee. So let's go 100,000, 8%, 10 years later, it's 233,000. So how much money really has Dudley utilized? Zero. So the company or the insurance company has used his $100,000 and try to make more than they're paying out because then they, they haven't paid out anything. They're utilizing his capital for the last 10 years, right, to, to invest in other ventures to try to increase their overall bottom line. What Dudley's going to receive is his money back bleed, like bled out to him over time. So then in year 11, what does Dudley receive? He receives 15000 so let's go out 10 years. So 15,000 over 10 years is 150. So the insurance company over 20 years has paid him out 50 grand. So he started with 100, then they put all these bolt B, I was gonna say something like these numbers in there. And it's like, all right, well now it's 108, now it's 233. All you really need to be concerned about is what the guaranteed income is. So it's $15,000 per year at a seat. I'm guessing that Dudley is I don't know, probably 65. Maybe he's a little bit older because these numbers are a little bit rich. So let's just say Dudley's 60. He starts at 60 with his $100,000. 10 years goes by, he's 70. He has not received a dime from the insurance company. He turns his income on at age 71, gets his $15,000. You go out 10 years when he turns 80, he's received $150,000. So on his $100,000 investment, he's made $50,000 over 20 years. So let's go out another 10 years. So now he's 90. That 150 or so that $15,000 a year, it's another 10 years. So he makes another 150,000 plus the 50,000 that he made the previous 10 years. So he's made $200,000 on his $100,000 investment over a 30 year time period. So that's assuming Dudley 60. If Dudley 65 or, or older, right? You can see how this internal rate of return is gonna be a lot lower unless Dudley lives to 150. The internal rate of return is a few percent. It's probably around three, three and a half percent. Usually what I see is about two and a half percent. That's the true return that the investor is getting. That's not adjusted for inflation. And if it's in an annuity, all the income that's going to come out to Dudley is going to be ordinary income taxed. So you have to look at, well, what are you giving up? I'm giving up, you know, the potential to have a higher expected rate of return than three percent. If you want to say, I don't care, 3% is perfect, it's not adjusted for inflation, it's going to be fully taxable, and I'm going to lock up my money with this insurance company for the rest of my life, then do it. But I think how these are sold or how these are positioned sometimes might seem a little bit more rosier. Because who wouldn't want an 8% compound interest, especially in today's environment? Everyone would want to jump on that. How about a bonus of eight grand? You put it in this product, I'm just going to give you 8,000 because I'm a nice person? There's got to be something on the other side of the equation. When there's a buyer, there's a seller, right? They're selling these products to you. You're buying them. Someone, they got to benefit, right? So you just have to understand truly what you're getting. If you're fine with transferring risk, because this is a risk transfer tool, you're transferring your risk to the insurance company and you're fine with a low expected rate of return from this. It's a guaranteed, it's a guarantee to give you a low return. That's fully taxable. That's going to lock you up within this insurance company forever. If that's what you want, then do it. If you want more flexibility, a lot less cheaper costs, he says no fees. Well, it's a spread. 
there's it's it might not be an investment fee or but there's a spread they're, they're definitely making money off you dudley right we, we can't be naive here um as well so but if you're like i don't want to mess with it i just want a guaranteed income it's the duration for my life fifteen thousand bucks it's all good then do it but you truly need to figure out what the internal rate of return is on all these investments before you make any decision so i don't know I'm not a huge fan, but if you want to transfer risk, get the income, that's fine. But just know you're not getting 8%. You're getting three. And I don't even know if you're older than 60, let's say you're 70, it's closer to two. So anyway, if you got more questions, shoot me an email. Hopefully this helps. Anything else on that? I don't think so. We got Sid Ron. Sid and Ron. Yes, that's what I said. No, it's not. (laughs) Sid and Ron. Perfect. What what did it sound like? Sid Ron. Sid, Ron? Sid and Ron. Uh, dear Al, Joe, and Andy, we, hubby and me from Tennessee. Oh, that's kind of cute. Love, love, love your show. Would like your opinion and discussion on the following. With the desire of wanting a secure stream of fixed income, why is it there more promotion on individual bonds versus annuities? We are not fans and don't own an annuity for all the known reasons, but prefer holding individual bonds, not bond funds. We don't understand why this option is not entertained more for fixed income uh, solutions. We currently hold four individual corporate bonds just under a million dollar par value that matures between 2031 and 39. We have owned these for 10 years, and they pay annual interest income of approximately $90,000 a year. The qualification consideration is to own investment-grade corporate bonds, triple B rating or higher, with the maturity dates out 10-plus years, and the yield to maturity equaling 6% held to maturity. All right, so I'm going to pause there. (laughs) All right, there's comments. No, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of meat on the bone here. So first of all, I agree with um, hubby and me from Tennessee is that individual bond ladders are a phenomenal way to create a fixed income stream. Um, And it really depends on a, how much money that the individual has um, in my opinion, because the bid ask or the spread on bonds, individual bonds are pretty expensive um, for the average individual investor. Because if you think about it like this, what do you think is larger, um, the bond market or the stock market? I would guess the bond market. The bond market is significantly larger than the stock market. Um, So if you think of the globe Mm -hmm. as the bond market okay like the city of cnt would be the <laughs> it's not that big of a difference right because like like companies i mean um, countries right issue bonds yeah trillions in dollars of bonds there's not like a, a usa stock right you're buying companies um so w- when you're looking at bond traders they want big blocks of trades so that's why diversifying um, within other types of products to get those costs really low. So the spread or the, the, the income can go to the client uh, more versus 
Uh, the bond trader is, is key. Uh, so there's some things and there's research that individuals would need to do to do this on their own. And it sounds like um, hubby and me from Tennessee are pretty Sid sophisticated. They, they, I like call them hubby and me. <laughs> okay. They got over $5 million of liquid assets. So you can, you can tell that they've been long at investing. Um, It sounds like they've, um, that they've accumulated this all on their own with no inheritances, no businesses. Uh, They worked corporate America and then it's just like never underestimate the value compound interest. So they've been just grinding and saving for quite some time. And so, you know, they, they probably have a little bit of, education in regards to bonds. Yeah. I like individual bonds, but for, let's say, an average investor that doesn't have $5 million, is that a, a appropriate solution? Um, because we would want, a, she, she she bought four corporate bonds, right? I would want a lot more diversification than four corporate bonds. So that's one of the cons. And in, in, in she even put that down as one of her cons. Is it, Corporate bonds, right now, I mean, with corporations going on with, COVID-19, you know, it's like, oh my, the, the, do I, is there going to be a default? Can I pay these? What's, um, it, it, it's, it's, it has to be paid by the corporation's profits. So if those corporations go bad, well, then there's a risk of default. Also, as interest rates go up, bond prices go down. Um, so right now we're at a relatively low interest rate environment, as those interest rates rise, bond prices will go down. And if they have to sell prior to maturity for liquidity purposes, uh, they could potentially sell those bonds at a loss. So those are the two big cons. So if they're going to hold the bond to maturity and there's no risk of default, which is impossible. I mean, any company can go under, uh, but as long as the company stays in business, it's a great investment. Um, because she's absolutely right. She goes fixed income until maturity. Yep. Straightforward terms. Yeah, it's pretty easy. You buy a bond for 500 grand, a million dollars or whatever it is, and you get a 5% interest rate or coupon. You clip your coupon, get your payment, move on. Uh, You could sell liquidated anytime. Yeah, but you might be selling that bond at a discount or you could sell it at a premium depending on where interest rates go. No surrender charges and fees? No, because you're paying the fees up front. That's the big con, in my opinion, that there's very, very little uh, transparency uh, in the bond market. And so bond brokers, uh, they make a ton of cash. Um, and, I, and I know several. Um, so that's why we, as a firm, um, we absolutely have individual bond ladders for our clients. Uh, but it depends on how much money that they have. For the average investor, let's say that has a million dollars of investable assets, probably individual bonds wouldn't make sense. We would want to use ETFs or bond funds with a very short maturity uh, because we're not looking for income within the bonds. We're looking maybe for a total return approach. Um, And those bonds are used um, for stability within the overall portfolio in a rebalance tool. So it, it really all depends on what the goals and objective is of the investor and what they're trying to accomplish in what their overall portfolio looks like. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of individual bonds versus an annuity. Um, so because what the, the insurance companies are doing, they're buying bonds themselves. Uh, they're just probably more sophisticated than uh, some investors and the investor would rather have the insurance company take on all the risk and get a guarantee, but you're paying for that guarantee um, by a large premium in most cases. So 
Um, it's just understanding what you're trying to accomplish and understanding the pros and cons. And I think you have a pretty good understanding of what the pros are, what the cons are. Another is, yeah, there's a chance of being called. What that means is that, let's say the interest rates are paying at 6%, interest rates go down, they could call the bond and reissue a bond and say, you know, we're only going to pay four. So a lot of different things to consider. But um, Sid and Ron from Tennessee, hubby and me, appreciate the email. Check out additional information about fixed indexed annuities and bonds in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Now, who do you know who's easily swayed by every financial pitch that lands in their email inbox or that they see on TV, hear on the radio, or see when they scroll social media? That person is the one who needs you right now to tell them about this podcast. In these critical times, send them to yourmoneyyourwealth.com so they can subscribe to the podcast and hear Joe and Big Al's entertaining insight on these complex financial instruments that are being pitched, not to mention that they can also learn about the latest federal legislation that affects them. Remember the SECURE Act? Doesn't that seem like it was about 10 years ago now? Hard to believe it was only signed into law in December of 2019. Get the SECURE Act guide from the podcast show notes as well. Got a question on the SECURE Act um, from Cheyenne or Sheen? I guess Sheen. Sheen or Sean? I think it's Sheen. Sheen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> with the Secure Act, does the does the ten years apply to my son after I pass, and will he have to pay tax? Uh, my age is sixty seven, and my son's is forty seven. Thanks. I enjoy your Sunday shows. I DVR and watch them. All right, cool. All right, so Alan, so he dies. His kid's forty seven. Um, does the 10 years apply to my son after I pass? So he's talking about the, the death of the stretch IRA. Yeah. And the answer is it, it does. Uh, and this, this happened effectively this current year, 2020, January 1st, 2020. So anyone that passes away after that date, which if you're living now, that you're, that's going to happen. Right. And so that means that anyone other than your spouse is going to be subject to the secure act, uh, which means the most that they can stretch it is 10 years. There's a couple exceptions, like if you're within 10 years of the person that passed, uh, which would not not work for a son, but uh, could work for a brother, something like that. But yeah, your son would have to pull out the money within 10 years. But interestingly enough, it doesn't have to be an even amount over 10 years. It could be any amount your son wants over that 10-year period. But uh, by 10 years, uh, it would all have to come out of the account. And the son will have to pay tax, right? Yes, if it's in an IRA. If it's in a Roth IRA, no tax. But it's going to be based on his life expectancy. I mean, his tax rate. His, yeah, that's right. So or, I'm assuming. So it's not so, going to be taxed at Sheehan's tax rate. It's going to be taxed at Sheehan's kids. Yes, exactly. So in other words, when the son gets the IRA and, and pulls money out, it just gets added to the son's tax return and gets taxed at whatever rate that, that he's in. We got a clip from Wisconsin. Andy, you don't want me to read this because he's mad at me? He's not mad at you. He just doesn't understand why you made something so difficult, which is kind of your specialty. <laughs> I'm trying to make things easy. Well, That's read on, show. Joe. All right, well, let's sometimes, see what Cliff has. Sometimes, sometimes we just babble on and on. We, we do our best. Well, he's from Wisconsin. So, you know, I'm from Minnesota originally. So he's, he's probably just, just... Just annoyed with you. Well, who isn't? <laughs> all right so let, let's hi well he started off fine started out great i just listened to your podcast 254 and i be oh 254 thanks i, I know 
That's the one where you guys talked about TSP Roth conversions and you ended up getting spanked by a bunch of folks in the military. You remember that? Then I began to think I made a bad, um, think I had, well, no, he was talking about people like in a combat zone. Right. Like how the hell did Al and I know, we we know a lot (laughs) of things, but I mean, not everything. Uh, yeah we well just yeah a, a little a disclaimer we don't know everything um uh, i began to think i had bad info regarding converting my tsp to a roth ira you made it sound very cumbersome and at one point at least said that you cannot make a conversion without first moving the tsp funds to a traditional ira i disagree and feel you should research this more it's extremely easy to do a conversion on the TSP site, you click the link to make a withdrawal. And about two minutes later, your partial withdrawal request is done. For me, this even including changing my address, which is an option during the process. Granted, I'm retired and 60 and single. Okay. I've just completed this for the year, but last year the money was in my bank account in three days, I believe. There are no forms to fill out, nor any restrictions or how how much you can transfer. You can make a withdrawal up to once per month. They do take 20% out for the IRS. You can get around this by selecting that you want a direct transfer, which would probably have to be to a regular IRA. I choose to distribute because I wanted some of the cash. Then you have 60 days to convert it. Oh, boy. Al, you listen to this. No, you don't. (laughs) <laughs> I know no, where you're going to go with it. Cliff, come on, brother. <laughs> uh, the rest is even more easily transferred to my Roth IRA. Mine, I held at TD Ameritrade. They have a form that takes two minutes to fill out, and I choose the box titled Roth Conversion. I, wrote, I, wrote, I already have it on my computer from last year. I printed, file it out, and put it in an envelope with a check in less than three minutes. No kidding. The whole process is actually too easy. Next year, I'll transfer the funds directly to my traditional IRA, convert them, and fund the taxes due from outside accounts uh, so that I can get more money into my Roth IRA. I can transfer just over $86,000 without getting above the 24% tax bracket. I'm not far from the top of the 22. The extra taxes will be more than earned back by the tax-free growth in my Roth IRA, which will be filled with Vanguard ETFs with about the same expense ratio as my TSP. Fortunately, I had lots of cash in my Roth that make these purchases at a good time, which is now. Am I missing something? You made it sound more complicated. (laughs) Yes, you are missing something, Cliff. You took a distribution from your TSP and you put it in your checking account and then you deposit it into your Roth. That is prohibited. You did it wrong. You cannot do it that way. So it is a little bit more complicated than what you did because you have an excess contribution in your Roth IRA because he took a distribution. He paid the tax and then he deposited the money into the Roth. TD Ameritrade doesn't know where the money's coming from and on his tax form, he's claiming it as a conversion. You did a 60-day rollover. A 60-day rollover is taking money from a retirement account and putting it back into a same type of retirement account. A conversion is something different. You're taking money and you're converting it and paying tax. It needs to go directly into the Roth. It can't sit in your hands. You took possession. So, yes, you kind of screwed that up. The likelihood of Cliff getting audited is another story, Al, but 
um, he's using a 30 or 60 day rollover to do his conversions. Yeah, once there's a distribution to your checking account, to where you hold the funds personally, you cannot convert that. But Cliff, I will say your next year strategy is fine, where you say I'll transfer the funds directly to my traditional IRA, convert them, and then fund the taxes due from outside accounts. That actually does work. So in other words, you do it, you do an in-service withdrawal from the TSP to an IRA and you convert that directly. That does work. But once you take a distribution, it's it's not only taxable, but you cannot put it in a Roth. If you do what, and here's what can happen. You put it in the Roth and you weren't allowed to, and the IRS catches it 10 years from now. And then all this money that you thought was tax-free gets, it comes out, you have 6% excise penalty for 10 years. That's 60% of your account gone because of the penalties. Plus it's it's all taxable. It's, it's, a, it's a complete disaster to do it that way. Right. So the TSP, the, if I'm converting a 401k plan or an IRA, the 401k dollars, I'm saying, all right, I'm taking the money out and I'm converting it into a, a Roth IRA. The, the, the money is not in my name. The money is in the name of the custodian. It's going to say, okay, with your Vanguard ETFs, if I did this correctly, it's going to say Vanguard, you know, for the benefit of Joe Anderson in my Roth. And then I deposit it in the Roth that way. You have money. It's in your name. It's in Cliff's name. And then Cliff writes a check into the Roth for X amount of dollars. And then on his tax forms, he's filling it out a little bit differently. That's what it sounds like to me. If it went from an in-service withdrawal into an IRA, then IRA into the Roth, that was done correctly. But he's taking a distribution, it sounds like, putting it in his checking account because he needed the cash, and then he's writing the check into the custodian. That's a complete blow up. So, yeah, I made it complicated because it is complicated. All right, so we got George, no location given. George, George, George. We've had George on before. Dear Andy, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. What yeah. the, George. And he's even got the little registered trademark under by CFP. <laughs> I know, what so what is he, he doing? Must, he must have copied it from something. Oh, hope you are well. Well, this is very formal, George. <laughs> not sure if I <laughs> don't sure how to answer this one. Well, he could have said Joseph Dennis Anderson. He could have. He could have. <laughs> um, love your newsletter and the show. Even now, after nearly two years, George, we've been doing this for fifteen. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't remind me. Two years. Come on, you're, you're a rookie, George. My wife and I purchased long-term care insurance policies 10 years ago from a double ARP affiliate while we were in our early 50s. After several price increases and one coverage decrease, I believe it's time to reevaluate our long-term care options. Do you have a framework or approach to this issue? Seems like the options are to keep the current plan, purchase a hybrid plan, self-insure, or just blow the money and force our adult kids to take care of us better. Later. Or later, sorry, sorry. Curious George. All righty, Curious George. Um, I think you've got all your options dialed. You could keep the current policy. You could purchase a hybrid plan. A hybrid plan is, um, there's all sorts of them. But here's one, for instance. You pay a certain premium, and then that premium will buy life insurance and it will also buy a long-term care rider on it. So let's say you pay 
$5,000 a year for $500,000 of life insurance, and you get $200,000 of long-term care costs. Uh, most of those have a return of premium. Um, so you purchased you know, for 10 years, and you put $50,000 into the policy. After 10 years, you're like, you know what? I don't want this anymore. Um, you might be able to get your money back. Um, I am not a long-term care expert by any stretch. I do not. I don't. I don't have an insurance license. I do not sell insurance, so I'm just kind of winging it here. <laughs> I didn't do any research. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Could have fooled us. Yeah. So that's a hybrid plan. Yeah. Self-insure. You're paying your own bill, um, or just blow the money and force our adult kids to take. Um, yeah, that, that that sounds like a good one too, George. Well, even blowing the money that that. That doesn't sound as bad, or it's not it's not as bad as it sounds. Because here's what a lot of people do: is they're living in their home, they got equity in their their home. If they need long term care, they just sell their home and they use their equity to pay for the long term care. That's that would be a common strategy. So you could still blow your money and still have the equity in the home for long term care. Yeah, we don't know where he lives. No, that's why we ask where the hell you're at, because then we know if you live in, let's say, Minnesota. Like Fargo, yeah, that'd be hard. There would. Are you saying there's less equity buildup? Uh, well, no, just the, the property values are probably a little bit lower. You could probably right. get maybe one year of care. Maybe. You know, maybe the long-term care is cheaper in Minnesota. Nah, I won't say that much. They have cheaper outdoor rooms. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So hang in there, everyone. Um, things will get better. Things will turn. Stay patient. Keep your spirits up. Um, you know, stay healthy. Wash your hands. Good so, advice. That's all I got. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Joe's Cut Your Money, Your Wealth. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. With these volatile markets, how is your retirement plan looking? Click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and find out. Sign up for a free financial assessment via video conference with a certified financial planner from Pure to learn about all of the retirement planning opportunities that are available to you to take advantage of in this ever-changing financial landscape. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investor investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained on the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.